Good morning. Good afternoon. Well, it's a good day wherever you are. This is 60 Plus, sharing the wisdom we've earned. And I'm Anita Ford Saunders. This podcast is the brainchild of a staunch AARP member, me, who feels some kind of way about the accomplishments of those over 60 being overlooked or forgotten. Many of us with years of experience under our belts have lived and learned enough to keep for ourselves and enough to share with those who consider wisdom a legacy. Today, I'm speaking with a good friend, a brother, and a community legend, Lou Brown. William M. Brown, known to us as Lou, is Hartford, Connecticut, born and bred. He was raised in Bellevue Square, the fourth oldest of 12 children. He attended Hartford Public Schools, graduating from Hartford High School in 1960. Lou worked in radio and television news for over five decades, winning scores of awards and citations during his professional career, including the NAACP Frederick Douglass Media Award and Journalist of the Year from Region One National Association of Broadcast Journalists. Lou was one of the founders of the Russ Wormwell Society, an organization developed to provide support for African-American journalists. Lou did not start where he ended up. His career had very humble beginnings as a letter carrier. We'll find out how this former civil servant came to be one of the, probably the most respected newscaster in this region. Lou Brown, how did that happen? Here's the deal. I was a letter carrier for 10 years in Hartford. It was during the civil rights era. While delivering mail one day, I saw an incident later on that evening, watching TV. When it was on TV, the incident involving police and an individual. It wasn't what I saw. The interpretation wasn't what I saw. My next move while in the post office was to go to WKD Radio and say, I want a job. They gave me a job sweeping floors. Uh, At night, I decided to go the University of Hartford. And I worked at the post office at WKD Radio, not getting paid. Mm. And then at night going to University of Hartford. And at WKD Radio throughout my entire career there, I uh, interviewed civil rights era luminaries like Julian Bond and the, the Panthers. Minister Louis Farrakhan, while at WKD Radio. Now, let me stop you there. There's a gap there. How did you go from sweeping floors at WKND to becoming a reporter? Who gave you that chance? Who um, had the chutzpah uh, to say, okay, Lou Brown, you can do this job? His name was Ken Dawson. But I was not the only one. Lloyd Wimbish, who's also from Hartford, had gone to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting where I had attended as well. Okay. And Lloyd worked for a utility company. I worked for the post office. We left those secure jobs to go to WKN Radio and the rest is history. You talk about that history. Um, you left WKND and then where did you go? Left WKND Radio. And I got approached by WPOP, All News Radio at that time. Mm-hmm. It was owned by Merv Griffin. And pressure was being put on WPOP to hire people of color. 
I stayed at WKND and in, in the post office, and I suggested to, and Lloyd Wimbish went to WPOP. After a while, when I went to WPOP, finally made the decision, Lloyd moved on to Channel 8. From WPOP, I went back to WKND. And from WKND, I was hired at that second trip. I was hired to go work at Channel 30 News. Were there many people of color in that profession at that time? No, there were not. No other way, there just wasn't. But at that time, the Kerner's commission came out with a report and said there need to be color on the set. I think that report is still available. Wow. That's when the media started hiring people of color in front of the camera and uh, uh, behind the camera, uh, you know, producers and uh, ESA people, public service people, because the pressure was being put on them by black folks in the community. They wanted to see, it, it all came together. It was like a perfect storm that the uh, media had to hire people of color. Now, while you were at Channel 30, you reported on some groundbreaking stories. What comes to your mind as some of the most memorable ones, and not only at Channel 30, um, in your career? Okay, before Channel 30, meeting presidents of the United States, like Jimmy Carter, Mm. one-on-one, meeting people like Julian Bond, interviewing them, meeting people like Earl Graves, the founder of Black Enterprise Magazine. I have a picture portfolio from WKND Radio that shows the luminaries that I interviewed. Mm -hmm. They're my most memorable stories because of the fact Shirley Chisholm, the first woman, never mind black woman, the first woman to run for president of the United States. I'm fortunate enough to have those audio cassettes in my collection. Uh, Moving on to WPOP, I broke the story about the resurgent, the Klan. Talk to me about that. So I got a tip. I went to East Windsor with my partner, uh, John King, God rest his soul. Mm. And I saw a leaflet on the wall in this redneck bar that says, Klan meeting. Broke the story. I do my homework. Hard work makes a difference. So coming through the back door, more or less, and to the media, I had to work. But the work ethic was part of our community. And so that night, I broke the story about the resurgence of the Klan. And and, and, and it was criticized for breaking the story by some black folks. Seriously? Really? I give them a platform. The names, I will not because they're not here to defend themselves. And I, and I love and respect them still. But it was what I brought to the table. As a matter of fact, people were so scary. The news director, Arnold Kulinski, that my partner and I go out to film the house where this new Klan leader was and uh, sent along a, a, a photographer by the name of Moses Price, another black man, to film myself and my Irish compadre going to this house in case the nuts inside the house will come out shooting. Okay. (laughs) 
that's a fact. And um, with that story that broke, I, I did my homework again, found out the guy's name at that time and found out more about his background and uh, the rest of history. Mm-hmm. But the story stuck with me, Anita, because of the fact I found out later after I had left the media in 2000 and went and worked in the office of Mayor Eddie Perez as an unpaid advisor. The guy who I had done the story on, who was the resurgent of the Klan, another newspaper in the area, General Inquiry, quite frankly, mm-hmm. had done a story on in his in his Klan uniform, but he had gotten busted. This was years later. Why did he get busted? Because he was a member of an outlawed motorcycle club. Okay. Nothing to do with his clan affiliation. Hmm. So the question become after I broke the story is that and he wasn't working as a correction officer, I don't think, at that time. So that was his profession? A corrections officer? He was a correction officer. So the newspaper in Manchester did a story on the guy in, in his clan uniform. He had been a correction officer. That's pretty bold and pretty scary. Pretty bold. It's scary. But he he finally got fired years later because he was a member of an outlaw motorcycle club. Mm. The the motorcycle club was outlawed by the state of Connecticut Correction Department, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine? No, I can't. And it's important that you broke that story. So talk to me a little bit about your sources. And let me just preface this. Lou, you are known all over this community, the state of Connecticut, to have relationships that gave you greater insight into situations. Your hard work, as you said before, um, the trust that people have in you, that you are a man of your word. Talk to me about your sources and wisdom you can share with people about trust and about relationships and why they're important. Well, I told you I started out in the civil rights area era at uh, WKND Radio, a black radio station, mm-hmm. signing off the revolution will not be televised. And my sources were in law enforcement. In fact, I was the first reporter while at WPOP All News, to be on the scene when the Civic Center roof collapsed. Uh-huh. And my source was my late brother, Richard Allen Brown, who was a cop in Hartford, who called me that morning at home, three o'clock in the morning or something like that, and said, Lou, get down here. But my, my brother was just one of the sources. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement, I've always said, local, state, and federal have his or her fingers on the pulse of societal changes. Law enforcement. And uh, it was a matter of I reported the facts and let the facts fall where they may. And I began to trust 
was a buildup over time, not just in law enforcement, but in the courts and under the Golden Dome. My word was my bond. But if you gave me a tip, it was upon, up, upon me to, to, to check those tips out. And once I confirmed with three sources, mm-hmm. I would break the story. But it was a matter of building trust. Yeah, that very, very important. That is a, a message. And let me just refer to a recent accolade you received from the Connecticut General Assembly, the Legislative Black and Puerto Rican Caucus Chairman's Award in recognition of your commitment to democracy, civil rights, and truth-telling, and your contributions to the struggle for a more just and accountable society. Lou, you, you, you know, you're not just a reporter. You're a warrior. You're a community icon. But you're a warrior, especially in the media. When they talk about truth-telling, and you've had the opportunity to use communications to tell the truth, talk to me a little bit about Black media, Black radio, uh, television, newspapers, magazines, your view on the importance of Black media. The Black media is more important in 2022 than it's ever been. Than it's ever been. Why? Because majority of the Black media, of course, was, was born out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And you did your homework. And you still do your homework. And the media today, overall, the general media, don't or can't do what the black media did. And, and in terms of reporting the story about people, the beautiful nobodies, as my Aunt Judy Merrill used to call mm. And I would, you know, from, 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 from the governor down to the guy on the corner, your word had to be your bond. Had to be your bond. And we're more, it's more important today for, for the masses to realize it, meaning black folk, to realize that the general media needs us monetarily. You say, well, what do you mean? The general media operates on what do we do every once a year? We ratings. Four right? times a year <laughs> for TV. We spend our money. We, we, so when we know our own self-worth, I'm saying to you, Anita, that hypothetically speaking, every general manager of every radio station or every TV outlet, they rely on their sponsors. Let me give you another more graphic. So I'm just in the morning referred to the women at Rutgers mm-hmm. in a negative term. I'm just making more money than Carter's got liver pills for CBS. Nothing was said or done. It was almost hidden until Reverend L. Shopton mm-hmm. had a rally in New York around CBS and threatened to boycott the sponsors of Amish Imus in the morning. That's when changes were made by CBS. Back. Conversely, if you are 
station general manager at any of the affiliates in Hartford or Connecticut, you've got to deliver bacon. I maintain that there was a joint effort that when black folks see things on TV that it disturbs them or hear something, threaten an economic boycott of that station, that general manager will respond to you. There's more power today. Just one last thought about that. Why? Because unlike in your mom and dad's age era and uh, there are 500 different stations on cable. And everybody's got to make money. The general managers have, who's responsible have to make money. Unlike in Connecticut, there was only there three prominent stations for TV. And uh, 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 now there's five. So you got to deliver the, the good. Yeah. It's all about economics. It is. It's about revenue. And I think um, young people may not understand that a boycott, which may be old school, but hits people in the pocketbook and gets results. Yeah. In fact, I mean, I always refer to it as a, a Montgomery bus, Alabama bus boycott. Mm-hmm. It took a year. Time. But, of course, they realized, for, for black folks there in Alabama to realize, that they were not going to go to the back of the bus anymore. Mm. What did they do? They boycott the buses. It took a year. They came together, uh, carpooling in the whole nine yards, or walking. It's history. What happened after a year of the Montgomery bus boycott? Despite the ugly head of ignorance, they stopped that going to the back of the bus. Mm. That's not a fact. That's a fact. So I, I say that Montgomery bus boycott paradigm can be used today very much so. Never mind just for reporting the news accurately, but the hiring factor. You've got to know your own self-worth. We have to know our self-worth as a people. And we have to come together and understand the economic factor. Oh, there's so much documentation along those lines. It's not just me spouting emotionally. And uh, that's a, again, it's relevant today. And Montgomery bus boycott paradigm on the media today, you will see things turn around. You will see the hiring of more people of color and prominent positions, not token. Mm-hmm. Now the question becomes, are you organized? Do you have an organized mind? So when that door opens, a job won't be token. And I won't mention any names, but I saw people who came into Channel 30 in the public service department who took upon themselves to get education in that area and they're still actively involved in public relations. I won't mention the name. <laughs> you speak truth to power, Lou. You are more than a reporter. You are 
a historian. You're our community treasure. And, you know, I thought of the word icon. So I looked it up. What what does icon mean? You know, in, in this digital age, icons to most people mean a little symbol on their, on their phone or their computer. But um, one who is the object of great attention and devotion. Mm-hmm. An important and enduring symbol and any person or thing that is revered. And you, you are revered. You, um, you have done magnificent work. And then you decided to retire. What, why that decision and when, and what did you learn at that point? I retired in 2000, May of 2000, because quite frankly, I saw that things were changing in our industry in a way that I was not happy with. Mm -hmm. What it changed was Walter Cronkite said to myself and to some other members of Channel 30 who ran into him up at Martha's Vineyard and held court with us, you kids hang in there because our industry is going to be known as information. Infotainment, excuse me, infotainment. Infotainment. What made me change, infotainment was the word coined by Walter Cronkite over 30, 40 years ago up in Martha's Vineyard to some members from Channel 30. And lo and behold, he said our industry or journalism would be driven by the technology. Don't bother me with the fact. And he called it infotainment. Mm. What do we have today? I'm so disturbed because the fourth estate is a part of democracy. We got infotainment around us. You see, I was held like um, other black reporters with different standards. Yeah. I understood that. But what, what I'm saying, you had to do your homework. It, today, the media, which I grew to love, Anita Ford Sanders, because of the fact in an educated Community, not just the current event, powerful. Education is what? The key. Education is the key. When I retired, when I left, and I, I decided to leave. After speaking with my wife, that day I decided to leave. Hmm. And I'll share this, if I haven't shared it with you before. I called to Bernie Sullivan in, in, in 2000 when I left Channel 3. By the way, I walked in one day and said, I'm out of here. Just like that? Just like that. Just like that. I walked in that morning and said, I'm out of here. After speaking with my wife, April, and my son, Jason, there was something wrong. And what it was, I found after going through therapy for a year, I had internalized so much mm-hmm. of what I saw. Mm. Uh, shootings. Uh, the backstories, if you will, of politics. And uh, so it, it caught up with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was in 2000. So in 2003, when it hit me, the impact I had had, and I was overwhelmed by it because I'm never on an ego trip because you see, I knew I was blessed. 
I knew I was blessed throughout my entire career. And uh, there were some wonderful professionals. Here we go again. They had a retirement dinner for me. I was still going through the therapy. I need a, I don't want to embarrass you. <laughs> but I need a full Saunders. You were part of that retirement. That's when I found out. The people who were there, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, law enforcement, you name it, politicians, black, white, Puerto Rican, they were there. It was respectful. Mm-hmm. It came from miles around and calls from um, across the ocean as well. <laughs> and and that's, that's just a fact. And what, what, what happened, we, we had a scholarship. A scholarship came out of that, that's Anita. Right. That's right. If you told, we... The scholarship's down at, down at uh, uh, Quinnipiac University. That's... But I had to tell somebody the story that I tried to get that scholarship out in the Hopper public school system. At that time, it was not legally. There were some ethics questions. Mm-hmm. But since then, things have changed, thank God. But they... I can't remove that scholarship from Quinnipiac University. Well, they've got they've got a good communications school. and, and uh... They do. They, I've learned, and they, I get a letter every year. April and I said, said my name, April's name, and the Connecticut Association of, of Black Broadcasting. What is a communicator? I, I, the official name. Yeah, that, that, I think that's that. what it became after uh, Russ Worm Wells. Yeah. 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 After, hey, <laughs> Russ Worm Wells. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I think that's what it became after uh, Russ Worm Wells. That is that historian part of you and, and the organization that we built for communicators of color many, many years ago for support. And it was anybody who worked in the media, if you swept the floors in the media, if you were an anchor in the media, you were welcome in, in the Russ Wormwell Society. Remember the time we had a meeting up on 5 Clark Street when Weicker was the governor? I don't know if you attended that meeting, but we had invited Governor Weicker in the North End on Clark Street. Uh-huh, yep. At, at the Amsterdam House? Yes. Right, at the Amazon. And Wiker, and yeah, and Wiker walked in there by himself. Edith Gaines. Mm. Um, so what I'm saying, the power of the media was recognized by other people. And so with that being said, that's why I emphasize in our community, all over this country, recognize the power of the media. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's a fact. When there's an uprising in any country, I don't care where it is, what is the first thing that it sees? The television. That's right. The radios and the newspapers. Right. That's a fact. It's not my imagination. Go ahead. So what do you see as, as we close? What do you see in the future? What do you see in your future? Mm-hmm. I think at 80 years of age, to give as much factual, or I should say anecdotal, Speaking to my truth, but referring people back to factual uh, message that exists today. It's become more important for me, Anita, because of what happened on January 6, 2021, Day of Infamy in this country. Mm. I'm saying to you, our democracy. And people of color are in peril 
in our beautiful nation. Why? Because that was an insurrection that happened on that day. It was reported actively by the media, a great deal of it. And we're still playing intellectual scrabble. Oh, what was that? That happened in our capital. And everybody wants to talk about, to some degree, but did we fight the civil the civil war? We fought the civil war already. My point is that states' rights are being pushed ahead of the rights of all. When I hear the term states' rights, my thinking is, here we go again. We fought this war. That's what the Civil War was all about. Mm -hmm. The South and the North difference. So I think it's imperative that people of conscience, objectivity, uh, like it, I know things changed, but it's dangerous. A democracy, our democracy is in trouble. So, you know, I'll preach to the high high hills, and I refer to January 6th, 2021, as a day of me for this nation. That's why it's important to get people, not just of color, but people who understand what journalism and what the fourth estate meant, mm-hmm. the democracy. So all of your... Your career, you have fought for that, and that is the wisdom that you've earned, and that is the wisdom that you have shared with us. Thank you, Lou Brown. You know I love you, <laughs> and I want to thank you for the time. It's out of respect. Let me tell you, it's out of total respect. Family, for me, you know, knowing mm-hmm. you, know, I, I, and I, I, I love and respect you and your family, what you've done, what you, you. Con- what you continue to do. Thank you. And God bless you, my sister. Although Lou retired more than two decades ago, no grass has grown under his feet. He's remained active in issues he cares about, serving on the boards of the Hartford Housing Authority Commission, the Artists Collective, and he served as an advisor for former Mayor Eddie Perez. He also remains active in his church, St. Justin St. Michael's. We mentioned earlier that Lou was a founding member of the Russ Wormwell Society. That organization evolved to become the Connecticut Association for Black Communicators. Lou was honored in 2003 by the group, which established a scholarship in his name, now providing needed assistance to aspiring minority journalists at Quinnipiac University. The wisdom that he has shared over decades in his personal and professional life now leaves a legacy for burgeoning journalists in the future. Lou challenges others to become involved because, after all, the revolution will not be televised. It is a revolution of the mind, and that, in fact, is live. This is Anita Ford Saunders. Thank you for listening to 60 Plus. I look forward to sharing the wisdom of more folks. 60 Plus. 60 Plus is recorded at Massive Productions in Rocky Hill, Connecticut located near the river where the cactus grows.